with that, we can get started. Grab your handout sheet, and we're going to begin with a quote. You'll notice that today is part two of a ten-part series through the book of Proverbs called Treasure Hunt, the Pursuit of Wisdom. There's a quote there by Lynn Cheney who said this. People who grow up without a sense of how yesterday has affected today are unlikely to have a strong sense of how today affects tomorrow. It is only when we become conscious of the flow of time that the consequences of action, whether it's taking drugs or dropping out of school, becomes a consideration. It is only when we have perspective on our lives that motives besides immediate gratification can come into play. Last week, I took a lot of time talking to you about the idea that one of the greatest things we can do to impact the world is to live in line with God's word. We talk about the year of world impact and we talk about a lot of things that we can do. Here's what we must do. We must live wisely. We must minimize our self-created drama. We have to mellow out the chaos we're allowing to happen because of the amazing amount of poor decisions that we make. We have to grow in wisdom, mature, and grow up as believers in Christ because a dying and lost world, as much as they need to know the gospel and you have that, will not trust you if your lives are more chaotic than theirs. I just need you to understand that. It's not maybe fair. doesn't matter what fair is. Perspective and perception is reality. If they perceive that you have so much self-created drama that you can't even think about them, they're never going to ask you about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is only once you begin to get a few things settled that they begin to understand that Jesus does make a difference and maybe you have a pathway of wisdom that you could share with them. And of course, we know that indeed any pathway we ever direct someone in must be a pathway towards Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, the pursuit of wisdom throughout history has been a bit of a treacherous endeavor. As a matter of fact, it kind of screwed up mankind right from the beginning. If you take a look at the garden incident when Satan in the form of a serpent comes to Eve and he tries to lead her astray with a fruit, do you remember why she took the fruit? It's actually described very clearly in Scripture. It said this. When she saw that it was pleasing to the eye and good for food and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and she ate. We All over the world, we always have a desire to gain information, gain knowledge, and gain wisdom. But almost always, our motives are screwed up. We want to learn it so we know more than someone else. Or we want to learn it so that we can know better than God. And tell him what we think our lives should be doing. We want to be wise so that we don't have to have anyone else tell us what to do. Those are wrong motives. The right motives are to chase after God because it is the very heart of God. Your father in heaven. That's the real motives. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the book of Proverbs in a moment. But this is what you must understand. An ancient piece of literature. As a matter of fact, it's a thousand years before Jesus. You add that up to where we're at today and what? We're going back 3,000 years in time. But when you read this stuff, you're going to go, wait a second, it feels like he wrote it yesterday. It feels like he's talking to me today. That's pretty powerful for a 3,000-year-old document. As a matter of fact, it's 479, we'll just generally say 500 years before the wise men of Greece there were men, there were seven wise men of Greece that uh, were world-renowned for their brilliance. Some of their names were Periander, Solon, Bias, these guys. 
They were uh, known the world over for being incredibly intelligent, but this is 500 years before them. This is 700 years before Alexander the Great with Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, way before those guys. This is Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. And it's amazing that we get some of his writings written down here in our scriptures. So we're going to dive into that. But the question must begin with how in the world did Solomon get so wise? Well, it's cool that the Bible actually tells us exactly how he got so wise. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5? I know I told you I was teaching in Proverbs. I lied. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, page 238, and the Bible's handed to you. Page 238, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, is the story of how Solomon became brilliant, how Solomon became wise, how Solomon gained insight and understanding into the world around him. Solomon in this story is the brand new king of Israel. Israel is a mighty nation in the millions of people, and Solomon is about 20 years old. Imagine you as a 20-year-old being given over the keys to run a whole nation of millions of people. Would that cause a little bit of anxiety in your spirit? I think if you took it seriously, it would. This is where we pick up the story. It says, at Gibeon, that is a place of worship, where Israel worshiped, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Let's stop. What would you ask for? God comes to you and he says, I'll give you anything. What do you want? And you kind of go through it and you kind of wrestle through and you're thinking, oh, I, can, I, I would wish for three more wishes. <laughs> you can't do that with God. God just says, I want to give you whatever you want. You ask me and I'll give it to you. He didn't put any limits or parameters on it. What would you ask for? Would you perhaps ask for something silly? Would you ask for something or perhaps like wealth? Or would you ask for long life? Maybe you even think you're a bit more noble than that. And you would say, well, Lord, protect my family. What would you ask for? Well, let's see what Solomon asked for. Solomon has a little bit of a different perspective. Verse 6, Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. In other words, my dad was a really good guy, and I know you liked him, and you walked together. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among your people that you have chosen a great people too numerous to count or number. Well, we can stop there and we can assume that he's taken this very seriously, this idea of being king. And he's carrying his work anxiety home with him. And now he's nervous and God comes to him and says, what do you want? Well, what's on his mind? but ruling a nation. So what's his reply? Verse 9. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Let's stop there. Was that a good call? That's a pretty, pretty wise choice already, huh? Is that what you would have asked for? Lord, give me the ability to discern, to know right from wrong, to make good decisions and good choices. How did God feel about it? Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, 
I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. So there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor. So that in your lifetime, you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David, your father, did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and realized it had been a dream. Now, you can imagine waking up from a dream like that. Oh, my gosh. God just came to me, asked me for what I wanted. And despite my panic, I chose really good. I picked the right thing. I said I wanted wisdom. And then he was like, well, that's really cool because I'm glad you asked for wisdom because I'm going to give you riches and I'm going to give you honor in addition to it. Everything went awesome. But was it just a dream? How do you know if you're instantly wise? What did he know when he woke up that next day? Was it the idea that he rolls over to his wife and says, honey, I know things about you. She's like, why are you looking at me so creepy? Okay, I don't know how you automatically know that you're wise, so I wonder if this really did work, if this really did occur. Well, that answer is about to come to us, but I would pray that before we jump into that, we need to pray that we become wise. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning we're diving into your word and understanding Proverbs is difficult. We ask that you would open it up and give us wise and discerning hearts. That we might be the people that please you, the people that represent you well, the people that know our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did it work? Turn to chapter 4, verse 29. We get our answer. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Indeed, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. And he was wiser than any other man. And it mentions five wise men. I want you to scan that list real briefly. And I want you to see something. In fact, he was wiser than He-Man. Yes, the master of the universe. He was wiser than Skeletor and everybody. Okay, some of you are not nerds and watch cartoons as children. And some of you aren't old enough to understand that joke. It's not funny. We move on. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Did it work? It did God supernaturally endowed Solomon with greater wisdom than anyone that has ever lived. That's one of the reasons why we're reading this. Let me tell you my story and my pursuit of wisdom. It's not unlike Solomon's, although the outcome is a little bit different. Okay, here's how it went for me. I was about 13 years old. I'm guessing it was early teens. When you're an early teen, there's a certain opening of your eyes that the world is bigger than you imagine, and you're trying to get traction, but you can't seem to get the traction you want. You see that there's an adult world out there, and you begin to understand these concepts, but you can't really grab onto them. You don't have the ability to do what you want to do. Well, as I began to examine this, I had already been walking in the Lord for some time because I grew up in a Christian home, and I grew up with God as an understanding in my life and as a reality. And so I was reading through the Bible quite a bit, and then a verse popped out. And it's just, I don't think it was necessarily that God 
made it supernaturally highlighted. I just think that sometimes you read scripture and certain scriptures just catch your attention. Well, the scripture was in James, the book of James. It was actually James chapter 1, verse 5. In case you're writing that down, it's page 854 in your Bibles. And it said this, very simply, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. When I read that, I began to realize I could pray for this, and that it was attainable that God may well answer my prayer. So I did that very thing. I did two things. I prayed ferociously every day for wisdom for weeks on end. I began to study Proverbs and Scripture over and over and over because I wanted to be wise. And something miraculous occurred. Now, I'm not telling you that I understand fully what occurred. It may well have just been... My teenage years trying to make sense of my world and there was a great quantum leap in understanding just out of real life because sometimes when you are in a teenage world, a day is just a thousand years and everything is heightened and dramatic and, and maybe that's what I was going through, but it certainly was supernatural to me. I received understanding and insight into the world in such a degree that I was blown away. And I know it sounds kind of mythological, it sounds kind of fake, but I swear to you this really occurred. I ended up over a year to a year and a half period growing by such leaps and bounds of understanding the world. And what I mean by is realizing parents are fallible, realizing that there are systems over here, realizing that newspapers and news reports do not actually give you the truth. The whole world began to unravel and open up, realizing certain things about justice were not occurring, realizing that danger was actually lurking right around the corner. My anxiety began to raise. My, uh, my sense of well-being was lost. I began to get bummed out about everything because it was too heavy for my young spirit to bear. I couldn't show what I was beginning to see and understand. And so I prayed another prayer and I said, God, please make it stop. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed for God to stop giving you wisdom before. That's kind of a weird, dumb prayer, but I prayed it because I had no other choice and it stopped. As a matter of fact, it felt like I had to then kind of catch up with the knowledge that I had received. My maturity wasn't able to meet what I knew. And so I took a little while, a couple of years to kind of catch up. And then I began that prayer again. Father, I would love for you to bestow wisdom upon me once again. And I began to study. Now, you put that in together with how I run my life. I need you guys to understand a little bit of insight on that. A lot of you ask me for advice and for wisdom and you say, well, how do you know that? How do you understand that? You're only this old. The answer is, I don't know how I understand that. I don't even remember where I got it from. Most always, if it's brilliant, I ripped it off from somebody else. Okay? And if I took it out of the Bible, I will tell it to you as if it is fact, because in my heart, it is fact. But I read voraciously. I read at least a book a week. I have about five books going all at the same time. I'm constantly studying everything I can find out. I'm doing research. I'm preparing sermons all the time. I'm teaching classes. I'm being quizzed and asked. I'm also in the seminary process as well. So I'm constantly being bombarded with learning. That is how I run my life. 
when I finish this portion of my learning, I'll go on to my doctoral, doctoral learning. I'm never going to stop. Since kindergarten, I've never been out of school except for a one-year break. Then I took some semesters here and there. But in general, I've never been out of school since kindergarten, and I never will be. Because I believe that wisdom is crucial. I believe that knowledge is something that I must know, and I must understand the world if I'm to honor God rightly. But that's my heart. That's what I chase after. That's my passion. That's why the fill in the blank in front of you is true for me. And I believe it's true for you. And that is this. The pursuit of wisdom is both supernatural and practical. The pursuit of wisdom is both supernatural and practical. There are some things that only God can give. And there are some things that you can hone and sharpen and learn. Those things that we can control, we will be held accountable for. Those things that only God holds, he will be held accountable for. And so as we look into the book of Proverbs, I examined the book inside and out and hashed it and cross-referenced it and checked it. And I've come up with six keys to gaining wisdom out of this book alone. Not examining other scriptures, but very specifically listening to the wisdom of Solomon, I gained six insights or six keys on how to gain wisdom i put them in your notes and then i provided two lines for you to take notes on scriptures that i will be highlighting i will be presenting most of the scriptures up on the screen behind me as i'm preaching so that you'll be able to look at them and understand that i'm not lying all right other than that it's going to be too hard for you to chase after me and follow through in the bible but you can always feel free to do that we begin uh with the first key which is Wisdom is all around us. Indeed, wisdom and folly calls out to us from the streets. It calls out to us from all over the world. Is When you're walking through life, wisdom is shouting your name. It's saying there are things to learn here, people. Pay attention. When you go to work, there are things to learn. When you go home, there are things to learn. On the drive, there are things to learn. We must only open our eyes to pay attention. As a matter of fact, have any of you guys ever heard of Sherlock Holmes? All right, Sherlock Holmes was a very, very famous mystery novel uh, a while back, and it was written by Sir, uh, what is it, Arthur Conan Doyle? Isn't that who wrote it? So this guy who had this pipe in his mouth and this funky hat that was going both directions, he would kind of wear this little trench coat, and he would solve all these mysteries, and he was the greatest mystery solver of all time. And he would say things to his buddy Watson. He would say, well, that's elementary, my dear Watson. You remember that? And the idea was, well, it's obvious who the crime was committed by. And then he would relate something that was not obvious at all. He would say, well, the shoe leather that that man wore, that's from only this portion of Italy. So clearly he is the one that did that. And he would start mentioning all these things that no one else ever saw. In other words, he would solve the greatest mysteries by paying attention to details that no one else paid attention to. That is what we must do. We must go through life paying attention. See, there are people in this life that will blunder through and learn nothing. And they will consistently ram their heads into the same walls. Then there will be people in this life that go through life paying attention, marking things down, noting things and locking them into their heart. As you go through life, you need to watch and note what is going on around you because wisdom is calling out. But understand this. Proverbs is very clear that folly does the exact same thing. 
Are there people in this world that are deemed wise that are just spewing information and wisdom that are not truly wise? Yeah, there's tons of them. So how do you know? You've got to have a filter. You've got to know that just because someone says they're wise, that doesn't mean they're wise. You have to test everything against Scripture, everything against the Word of God to know whether it is truly wise or not. But when you deem those people to be wise, pay attention. That's really the heart of the first key. The second key that is revealed in Proverbs is you have to want it. Proverbs 1.20 says, Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out in the gateways of the city. She makes her speech. And what is her speech? How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? And how long will fools hate knowledge? Bottom line, when is enough stupid living enough? At some point, you have to get frustrated with where you're at. At some point, you have to get irritated by the fact that you're not making good choices and it keeps going badly for you. Because until you see that you don't know it all, until you see that the choices you're making are horrible, you will not be motivated to alter them. So at some point, you need to consider your ways and make a change. Proverbs fourteen fifteen: A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thoughts to his steps. The only way to walk out of a trap is to retrace your steps. The only way to retrace your steps is to know what steps led you in. You have to pay attention to why you're doing what you're doing. You no longer can live a life of constantly saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's a reason. Learn it. Figure it out. Ask the right people. Ask the right questions. You cannot willingly choose ignorance in life. That makes you a fool. We don't want to be foolish. God did not save us that we might be foolish, but that we might be wise. Give consideration to what we do and how we do it. But you got to want it. Proverbs 8:17, wisdom says, I love those who love me and those who seek me, find me. You got to seek it. You got to chase after it. But you're never going to do that until you see the benefit. Proverbs 18:2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. You guys know anybody that's a know-it-all? Okay, some of you are here. I got something for you real quick. We don't like you. I just thought I'd let you know that, in case no one's ever told you that before. Your family told me to tell you. Okay. <laughs> Nobody likes someone that all they do is just walk around and say they know everything, and they share all their own opinions, and they won't listen to anybody else. That is a fool. You see, you have to ask questions. That is the way to wisdom. Always ask questions. Why? Because then you not only know what you know, but you know what they know. Always add to your learning. You cannot surely walk around and tell everyone all the great things that you know. Why? Because your well will run dry. And then you'll just keep spouting the same information over and over, and everyone will know that you're a fool. You must always gain knowledge, and you can't believe that you know everything. You don't know everything. The third key that is revealed in the book of Proverbs for gaining wisdom is that ultimately it comes from God. Proverbs 2.6, the Lord gives wisdom. 
And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding, verse 9. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You see, true wisdom is actually the nature of God. It is how God acts. So clearly he's the one that knows it. He's the one that wants to give it to you. And that is why we pray to him that he might bestow grace upon us to give us knowledge. But we don't know everything. As human beings, we don't have all the answers. Proverbs 14:12 says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. In other words, you're totally convinced that you're doing the right thing and you're on the completely wrong path. Is that possible? It's probable. It happens to all of us. As a matter of fact, it's cited again in 1625. Solomon says the identical phrase twice. Well, that's kind of a waste of, of space, right? Because why would you say the same exact thing? Why don't you say it a little different? Because he said, no, I want to say it one way. I want to say it exactly that way two times so that you might learn, he said. So where does it begin? It says very clearly in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He says that eight times. So what's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Why? Because you have to at some point realize you're not king. Proverbs 11.2, with humility comes wisdom. You have to get off the throne of your life to allow anyone else to sit there. And when you begin to respect God and fear God and understand, not in a scary way, but in a respect to know that God's ways are right and he's in charge, then you will begin the pathway of wisdom. Understand there's people in this world that don't know Jesus and they're spewing an awful lot of wisdom, but they can only go so far. There will be a limit to where they can go because they don't have the missing key which is Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, all the great questions of the world will never be answered because they're all found in him. The questions of why am I here? What is my purpose? These things are all found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So I don't care how wise someone is outside of God's kingdom. They can't bring you all the way home. So what do we do? Proverbs 30 verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. So what's our job to study the nature of God? The fourth key that is revealed to us in Proverbs for gaining wisdom is that we have to learn wisdom. We have to work for it. We have to listen. We have to read. We have to study. We have to remember. As a matter of fact, we're doing that today. Proverbs twenty-two seventeen. Pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips. What are we supposed to do? But study Proverbs. That's a start. And that's what we're doing. Proverbs 7 says, my son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye and bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Wisdom isn't going to accidentally happen to you. You're not going to stumble into it. You've got to want it. You've got to learn it. You've got to choose to pursue it. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 8.34, Blessed is the man who listens to me, wisdom said. 
watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. you got to want this so bad that you're eager that you would chase it down and wait and say, how can I gain wisdom? How can I learn? How can I get insight? How can I grow in understanding? you got to want that stuff if we're ever going to do this, if we're ever going to do it right. The fifth key that is revealed in Proverbs for gaining wisdom is to learn it from others. How do we know that? Proverbs 10:13, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. Listen when they speak. Proverbs 18:13 actually says, before you speak, you might want to listen. When a wise man speaks, it's gold. When a wise woman speaks, it's choice. You guys ever been in a corporate meeting and regardless of who's running the corporate meeting, there's one person in the room that everyone listens to. Okay, that's the wise person. At least everyone thinks they're wise. So it doesn't matter who's running it, but everyone will stop and they'll pay attention. If you find those people in your life that are truly wise, you've examined them against Scripture, you've examined them against what you know of the Lord, when you truly find that person, you need to lock on everything they say and then examine it. You begin to lock on and write it down and say, that wise person is talking. If we have someone that's a guest speaker that comes up here and they stand up in this pulpit and they begin to tell you things about life that really connect in with you, you write it down. You lock it in your heart. I'm a vicious note taker. That's what I have to do for my learning. Not everybody's like that. But when I go to a seminar, I'm barely looking up at the teacher because I'm writing like crazy. I got to write everything down because I not only have to hear it, I have to see it. I have to tactile write it. Then I learn it in my spirit and I can turn around and I can teach it to anybody else. I do that because I want to know wisdom. Will you do that? Will you become a person that jots things down? When God opens up things in scripture, when God has somebody around you that gives you a piece of truth that you went, wow, that's speaking to me. Do you write it down? Do you keep it in a journal? Do you have any sort of process by which you lock it in your mind? Proverbs 12:15 says the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. We were never built to be isolated and live on our own. We were built for community. And all of us can't sort everything out in our own head. You have to have a sounding board. You have to have someone outside of yourself to pass ideas back and forth with. That's how we grow and learn. You must create a support structure in your life that you trust. You ha- good ladies, you have to have solid girlfriends that aren't just going to talk about nothing. Now, some of your friends you select for that very sheer reason. You go, you know what, lady? I hang out with you because we talk about nothing. All right? That's why you're my friend. However, you also need some ladies in your life that will speak wisdom and truth. That when you are trying to sort out what's going on in your life, maybe your husband isn't going to understand. Maybe the men in your life aren't going to fully get it. And you need a woman that is wise to speak into your life. You must have that. Gentlemen, you have to have guy friends, not morons that only talk about sports. All right? We can all hang out and talk about sports. That's great. But at some point, you need wise men in your life of all different varying degrees that you can bounce stuff off of and say, am I just being an idiot here? What's going on in my life? Why do I keep running into this problem? Do you see something I don't see? Because when you share it outwardly, you lay it out on the table, and then you begin to organize the pieces. 
and you put it back in your head in a more organized fashion. We need people around us. Praise God that we are in a church where there are wise people all over the place. Listen, if you need counsel and you need advice, I can suggest something to you. Don't make it me. Okay? All right? Here's why. Anybody ever tried to schedule an appointment with me? How long do you got to wait? Two and a half months. Okay? Now then, either you need to figure out when you're going to have a crisis two months early or you need to have some other people that you can tie in with and talk to. We have other pastors on staff. We have leaders of ministries that are brilliant. We have men and women that lead studies all over the place. We have people that aren't having any official capacity, but are the most wise. You need to find those people and track with those people and lock them down. Grab an elder, grab someone that is doing something that you know is wise, and then find out how you can touch base with them periodically. Ask them questions. I got a decision coming up in my life. What do you think about it? Here's where I'm going with it. Am I right? Am I wrong? Can you see something I don't see? We must have those sounding boards if we're ever going to make it. And finally, in that area, Proverbs 21:11, when a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. In other words, learn from other people's mistakes. Now, listen, there are certain personalities that are really, really stubborn, and they have to do everything themselves. Okay, if you're here and you're that person, I apologize. I'm about to insult you. Okay, you ready? Here we go. That's foolish. Come on. Grow up. Okay, stop having to make all the mistakes yourself. That's ridiculous. You don't have enough time. You're not going to live long enough to make all the mistakes that you need to make. Why don't you like, let some of us make them for you? Okay, there are so many dumb people in the world running around, stepping on landmines. Why don't you just note them down and go, wow, I probably shouldn't walk over there. They just exploded into a bunch of little tiny pieces. Oh, look, that person blew up over there. I'll write that one down, all right? If someone... Mainlines heroin in overdoses, you might want to go, ah, probably shouldn't mainline heroin today. Okay, jot that down. You don't have to go, well, I don't know, maybe they use too much. I could just use a little bit less. All right, stop doing that, okay? we got to quit making those decisions by having to do it all ourselves. You go, well, I'm just stubborn and hard-headed. No, you're just a fool, okay? We need to begin to learn from other people's problems. They're consistently screwing up that you might be wise. You understand? <laughs> just take time and learn. Pay attention. When someone gets their head beat in, just go, mm, not a good idea. You, we don't have that much time. We got to learn from other people's mistakes. You know, you just, if you watch a pattern with everybody walking and falling into a hole, don't go, I wonder if it's really deep. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's why everyone fell in the hole. The sixth and final insight into gaining wisdom, I believe revealed to us in Proverbs, is to be teachable. To have a teachable spirit, be open to rebuke and correction. Proverbs 15.31 says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. That says the same concept at least eight times in the book of Proverbs. Here's the thing. You need to be able to be told you're wrong. And that's really hard. 
human nature is to be defensive every time. It's to say, no, I'm not. And then you have reasons why. Let me explain a few things about how I operate that may give you some insight into your own life. I rarely ever lose an argument. Why? Because I have reasons for why I do what I do, and I'll come at you with a thousand pieces of paper, and I'll overload you with information as to why I'm right. But listen to this next phrase very carefully. You can win an argument and be a fool. Winning an argument means nothing. Winning an argument merely means you know the art of winning an argument. It doesn't mean you're right. See, with my wife and I, she doesn't win any arguments. How irritating is that, ladies? Imagine that. Oh, what would it would be like to be married to the pastor. Horrible. Let's tell you that right now. We'll clear that one up. All right. She can't win any arguments because I'll out-talk her every time. And she doesn't come in, uh, you know, loaded with ammo for why she believes what she believes. Yet she's right. But I'll win the argument. That just makes me a fool. See, here's the thing. I have not matured enough in my life to handle confrontation properly. I've only gotten so far, and I still have more to learn. Here's what happens when you would confront me. Let's say you and I are going to have a battle. Um, let's say you come up and you just go, well, I think you're wrong. Well, you're going to come up loaded with your things. The minute you say that I'm wrong, I go into a different mode. I go into annihilate you mode. <laughs> and what happens is, is that I automatically become heightened and super aware of every possible thing I've learned in my life to shut you down. So I will then fire back at you. And when you get done with the conversation with me, you're going to assume I didn't hear a word you said. You're going to leave assuming you gained no ground. You're going to leave assuming that I didn't do anything about it, and I'm not going to change. But you know what I do when I leave you? I go back into my office, and all I do is analyze. All I do is consider what you said. I heard every word that came out of your mouth. And I go through, and I go, I was probably wrong here, 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 here. And I began to just super analyze. Why? Partially for pride, because I don't ever want to be wrong again. So I'll alter with everything that you just said. I will make all the proper changes. If you're right, I will change. But you'll never know that. You understand? That's immaturity. See, I can't tell you while it's happening. I can't ever give you an indicator that you're gaining any ground. I'm not mature enough to do that. I'm too immature. I don't want you to know you're gaining ground because then all of a sudden it alters what's trying to go on. Now, sometimes I have little breakthroughs where in the middle of it, I will be able to go, that's a great point. I'm totally wrong here. But a lot of times I don't. That's immaturity and that's foolishness. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that girl. At some point during the conversation, you have to give props where props are due. Do you see what I'm saying? You have to stop and go, man, that was really a great point. You're absolutely right. I'm totally wrong there. I can only do that sometimes, but I'm growing, I'm learning, and if I don't do it, I'm wrong. Do you understand? So when the Bible says be teachable, be teachable, and you might want to let some other people know you're teachable too. There are four areas where Proverbs says that we need to be open to rebuke most. The first of those areas is wisdom. That's when life in general crashes in. 
and punches you in the face and you go, wow, that was a really bad decision. Okay, you're supposed to learn from that and accept that rebuke as opposed to saying, well, that's not going to happen next time. All right. The second area is when God rebukes you. If you're in church or you're walking through life and you get punctured in your heart by God saying you are out of line, you are sinful, you're wicked, you know it, you have to be willing to hear that as opposed to justifying. The third area is parents. You go, well, my parents aren't, they're all dysfunctional. Okay, I'm not telling you you need to receive everything they say. But what I'm telling you is they've lived longer than you. They've been there and done that. And when they reflect back on you, they're going to tell you lessons they learned along the way that you haven't even got there yet. Pay attention to what your parents say. I didn't say accept all of it and lock it all in your heart. I said, listen. And when they rebuke you and they correct you, you need to always ask the question, maybe, perhaps, I wonder if they're right. Now, you may examine it with Scripture and say, no, they're completely wrong. But you must be open to it. Because most parents do want it to go well for you. Not all, but most. The final area is a rebuke of a wise man or a wise woman. I don't know any wise men or women that like confrontation. Where they like taking someone aside and rebuking them. I don't know anybody. Fools love doing it. Fools love the idea that they have something over on somebody else and they can't wait to take them aside and beat them up for it. But not wise people. Wise men and women have to go out of their comfort zone, put themselves on the line just to teach you. If a wise person is willing to do all of that and risk them, you not liking them, do you understand? Nobody doesn't like to be liked. Nobody wants to be rejected. But if a wise person puts themselves on the line, takes you aside and says, you are absolutely out of line. You need to listen to that and listen to it well, because they just put themselves out for you. They care about you and they want you to know the truth. In closing, I'll pick up Proverbs 12:1. kind of puts it all in perspective. It says this. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. (laughs) All right, then. It's a nice way to end. Here's the deal. We have to pursue this stuff with all that we have. We have to get into this and realize that it's all around for our grabbing. And if we gain wisdom, things go well. If we continue to operate in foolishness, it's only going to go bad for us. And there's a great amount of pain in your life that you can minimize. There's a great amount of difficulty that you shoulder that you don't have to carry. And we can only make minor adjustments and things would begin to clear up. But we cannot blunder through life. We cannot close our eyes and lower our shoulder and just take out the world. We've got to be smarter than that. And with our stubbornness, we better not allow it to ruin the evangelism that we're trying to do. You cannot allow bullheadedness to stop you from promoting the gospel. At some point, humility must enter in and you must open up and realize that not only does God know more than you, but there's a lot you can learn from the people around you. Remain open, remain teachable, and pay attention to the details of life. And I swear to you, wisdom will be found. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for a challenge and an excitement, Lord, that we might be able to gain wisdom and move forward. That, Lord, that we might be able to be the men and women that you designed us to be. 
because of your supernatural nature, the way that you reveal yourself to us and show us the insight into life and show us the other side. Lord, may you be glorified and praised in your kids as we live in a pleasing way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.